This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Pod. Back again in your podcast feed. This time. I am setting up something we recorded with the Timeline Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Those guys do really good work over there covering the Suns. So we talked with Sam Cooper and Mike V. Hill. Uh, Follow them on Twitter. We provide their ads in there. Check out the episode and hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys. That was a very fun game. For us, I am, disagree. <laughs> I you, you had fun with that. Oh. Yeah, I imagine it was less fun uh, for you. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of uh, adjustments being made. But like, what was your guys' read on that game? I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, so we felt that the Lakers struggled both from a like performance shot making standpoint. They shot. 61% on free throws, 27% on threes. We're missing some shots they normally make, but also from a game plan side of things, didn't come out, you know, defending specific Phoenix actions that they should know they're going to see a lot of like Booker and Chris Paul ball screens, Booker off screen stuff. The, the most frequent plays and actions the Suns usually run were the ones they ran against the Lakers. And the Lakers didn't, they, they ran more of a vanilla, like this is a regular season defense game plan rather than making it tailored specific to the opponent. So, I mean, we're, we are, we're certainly not pleased with that, but we do think that they'll look to adjust um, and specifically with pick and rolls, because that's something that just throughout the game, especially with Chris Paul being a little bit hampered with his own play, he was able to continue having an impact as a playmaker because the Lakers were constantly putting two guys on the ball and ball screens in what we'd call a soft or a catch edge where they weren't trapping. And if they were to trap, it would force the ball out quickly and it would be a different kind of rotation on the back end. But they, they had two guys close to the ball, but not really being aggressive enough that, that it really forced the Suns to make quick decisions. And instead the Suns were able to get like Aiton getting all the way downhill so he could catch at the rim or catch a lob instead of mm-hmm. catching at the free throw line. Um, right. And because he was able to get, get downhill, that collapses, you know, d- defenders from the corners and then they get wide open threes. So just that element of it where you let the, the Suns play with the pace in the, in ball screens that they wanted and you gave them a four, th- four V three advantage off ball, uh, and the time to like, you know, we have four wide receivers, three cornerbacks, somebody's going to be open unless you get a pass <laughs> rush coming and there was no pass rush, pass rush. So that piece of it is something that going into the series and now, especially now 
uh, we think the Lakers will look to change. Because just on the season as a whole, looking at some of the numbers I was able to get from Second Spectrum uh, through a source, the type of screen coverage the Lakers ran against Chris Paul and Devin Booker of all the different types of coverages this year have been the least effective against those two guys. So mm. even game one from the start, it was a losing game plan in that respect. So hopefully the Lakers look to adjust that moving forward, because that's, that's how you don't have Deandre Aiden going 10 for 11 and you don't get such a high percentage of like open corner threes as the Suns right. did in this game. I mean, Deandre Aiden shooting 10 for 11, he, he doesn't create his own offense really, except for the occasional mm-hmm. post-up. So the only way that happens is through defensive breakdowns and, and guarding the pick and roll. Um, I, I don't want to speak for either of you guys, but what it sounds like to me, and, and you can just confirm or, or not confirm, this is all basically a coaching schematic conversation more so than you're upset with any particular player execution. Absolutely, I think both. Yeah. Oh, Tim, stop. No, I got to jump in here because you can't watch that game and say that those individual performances we're up to par and Anthony Davis came out after the game and said that they're not going to win a game, let alone a series with him playing that way. So, I mean, yes, you can be right there, Tim, but this is certainly, you know, about as bad as an Anthony Davis game as you're probably going to ever get in the playoff series. So you have to put that out there. You know, I generally thought the Suns were working harder to get rebounds. I got to give them credit to Aiton. 50-50 balls just across the board, uh, I thought, went to the Suns as well. So you can talk about specific game plans and both teams trying to kind of focus their, like, first punch, right? They're, like, trying to play their way and dictate the adjustment. But it's, like, not a great place to start from if you're a Lakers fan. But credit yeah, to the Suns, I would just say- too. The, the reason I, I was saying yes with the, the the pick and rolls is like your big man, whether it's AD or DeAndre Aiden or not DeAndre, uh, Andre Drummond or me, your job is to contain. And they were containing there. We didn't see many ball screens where Booker or Chris Paul were getting downhill. They were attacking side to side to buy time and then just beat the coverage just with the, the right types of types of attacks. So it was to me, it was more a coaching coverage decision thing than a performance within that coverage kind of thing. I wouldn't go into game two and say, we're going to do the same thing just a little bit better, at least in that specific area right. of the game. I'm really curious what you guys thought about LeBron James in this specific game, because going into this game, I was concerned with the matchup of Mikael Bridges guarding LeBron James. Obviously Mikael Bridges is an excellent wing defender and can do a lot, but also he's pretty skinny. Like he doesn't really quite have the strength to stay in front of guys like LeBron James. LeBron started this game, like immediately shot three or four threes in that first quarter appeared to be sort of maybe relying on that jump shot a little too much. The only time I was telling Sam this, the only time I even remember him really finishing through contact, the way that you expect LeBron James to finish through contact was on Sharich at one point in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth, which is what you expect him to do if Sarich is on the floor, right? You got to attack that matchup as much as possible. In this game, I thought Mikhail did a pretty good job guarding LeBron James, but I also wonder if, like in my opinion, I feel like that's because LeBron's not quite playing like LeBron. I wonder if you guys feel the same way watching that matchup so far. I think he got walked down in the post a couple times too, where he just put him in the post and got a couple... Uh, at least kick out shots that the Lakers didn't make, of course. And some good cuts. There were some good cuts. I mean, no, I definitely don't think LeBron's 100% by any means, Uh, but I thought he played well. I kind of think those shots at the beginning that you referenced were because they were going under, and, you know, he just 
wanted to stop that right away. And then once he makes one, like, I'm going to take another, like, you guys are going to give me a little space here. Yeah. I'm, but I'm isn't that, that to go downhill? Like at some point, doesn't he do that in order to set up going downhill, which he didn't quite do in this game? Yeah. yeah. The goal there uh, to beat that under coverage by taking those under control, you know, you're going underneath behind that screen. I'm just going to stop behind the screen, pop and shoot that three. Uh, the goal would be after you make enough of them, you force that defender to go over instead of under, which would unlock you then attacking downhill. But we, like you're saying, we didn't quite see that play out in that kind of way. And when LeBron is able to attack downhill, collapse that defense, kick it out to guys, that's when we see the Lakers at their best. That's how we see AD get involved. That's how we see Drummond and Trez finishing dump offs. And we see we saw some of that, but for the most part, it wasn't LeBron of, of last year and, and years prior where like you just can't keep him away from the rim. And I think that was that was a big issue for the Lakers. And part of that had to do with what Phoenix was doing from like an alignment standpoint where they were making sure to try to sag off a little bit, get into some of those driving lanes and having guys on the court like Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, THT, Andre Drummond, Montrezl Harrell. Those aren't guys that have been hitting threes this year. So that gives the Suns mm-hmm. a lot of options if they need to stop LeBron to to just sag off and live with them shooting threes. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, 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 what I'm wondering what you guys think about too is uh, in this game, the Lakers had no answer for Devin Booker. Like obviously it's Devin Booker's first playoff game and you're seeing sort of how he's being defended here. Um, I think that the Lakers obviously have one of the best defenses in the NBA this year. I wonder what you guys think the response will be, what the adjustments will be for Devin Booker because he was kind of getting to his spots uh, easier than even I anticipated in this specific game. So I wonder what you think those adjustments will be. I mean, the simplest adjustment is to, yeah, I talked on our pod about, he's going to start with KCP on him. Uh, KCP is a little too small. Alex Crusoe is a very good defender, a little bit too small to bother those pull-ups uh, and those shots that Booker can get pretty well over guys. So you're going to see Wes Matthews enter the mm. picture and probably get more minutes. I good. wouldn't be surprised if you see Kyle <laughs> Kuzma. Uh, you know what I mean? Try and get some, some size on him at least. Uh, but you know, I, I think Wes, you know, can probably get into foul trouble on, on Booker, but you know, Wes is still a good defender. Like I would like the West minutes on Booker, uh, not to stop him by any means, but I think Booker just made a lot of great contested shots to, uh, today. That's what uh, he shoots. It, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you get a, you got to tip your cap, but continue to keep like make him make the two of those tough shots. Right. 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 You have to. I mean, look, you guys have an obvious advantage in star talent in a vacuum. The Suns don't get far. And, and we haven't even really talked about Chris Paul uh, and, and what his health situation is going to be for the rest of the series. But the Suns don't make it far. I think they do have a depth advantage, but they need their star players to hit difficult shots. Um, one thing that I'm sure you guys are getting a million questions on. <laughs> How can I phrase this? Where where are you guys on the Drummond's panic meter? And um, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because I do think he's he's the type of figure on NBA Twitter who gets a little bit more than he deserves. However, 19 minutes played tonight. Um, obviously, you close the game with Davis at the five. People are going to continue to bring up, you know, Gasol. Should Gasol be playing? You know, they'll they'll they've been saying that forever and they'll continue to say it. Um, how are you guys feeling about those center rotation minutes as of now? At least in this matchup, I don't feel awful about Gasol getting 15 to 20. There Against the Warriors, I was a lot more worried. Against some other teams, I think he plays more, he plays less. This is a series where on the offensive boards, he was clearly helpful tonight. He is a below average finisher, 
and his shot quality has certainly gone up once LeBron and AD have been back. But uh, as long as he's not like, he's not like a super lob threat. He doesn't have a big catch radius on lobs. He's not spacing the floor. He has some passing ability, but the Lakers don't use him in a role that leverages that at all at this point in the season. So what he's able to provide offensively sometimes is it's, it makes us anxious at least compared, especially because it's compared to like 80 at the five or Marcus Saul, who absolutely spaces the floor, either of those players at that center position out there in that spot suddenly makes everybody look like a better driver. It suddenly makes everybody look like a better cutter and it just changes the style of the team. And it's not that I think, I mean, I'll watch the, the film and have a better feel on this tomorrow or tonight, but at least from watching today, I don't think Drummond, was the issue or a big issue. Um, he, for the most part, was doing his job and it, it, he just happened to be the guy running that soft hedge, that catch hedge as the Suns were passing yeah. over it and getting lobs to eight. And then, and that's not really his fault. He did his job. So I see him continuing to be able to play. Uh, now, if the Lakers go into game two feeling like their backs are against the wall and they just go out from the start with uh, 80 at the five, that could happen. But I do think Drummond will continue to get um, some of those minutes and we as a pod the two of us have certainly been down on him and I know I've been down on him at different points in time but this is a series that he should be able to stay on the court for I just want to see him used in better screen coverages I think yeah that's that's really interesting I, I do wonder like how quickly the Lakers would be willing to go to AD at center like if it could happen as early as starting the next game with it Sam and I just really speculated that I think the most likely scenario is Drummond comes out in that first game and they, and they try it again and they see what happens. I think uh, that's probably smart too, especially because I mean, the sun's best option for that is Chris Paul. Chris Paul loves those drop bigs that are a little slow footed. I mean, that's exactly that's right. what he likes to play against. So, mm-hmm. you know, if Chris Paul comes out and he's looking fully healthy and, and Drummond's in that position and Chris Paul's able to take advantage of him, maybe they'll pull the plug a little bit faster. But if Chris Paul yep. comes out and he's a little um, gimpy, I, I don't know really how to describe what he was. Look, it doesn't really worry me if you get hit in the shoulder and you struggle to make a few shots in a game. That's fine. But the fact that he was struggling to dribble with his right hand at, at moments in that game, uh, you know, coming from a Suns fan perspective, that's concerning. I, and I would expect, personally, if you're talking about Wes Matthews on Booker, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Devin Booker has a history of absolutely murdering that matchup over and over and over again. Uh, so, you know, I don't really mind that. But if you're telling me that means Caruso is going to be hounding Chris Paul up and down the court, who maybe has a little bit of a hurt shoulder, that kind of concerns me a little bit there because uh, we'll see if, if, if that, if that goes well, I wonder at some point, do the Lakers even go to LeBron on Devin Booker? Is that even something that you think that they would go to at any point in this series? No, no, I I doubt it. I think they'll live. I think the Lakers would be happy if they have Schroeder and Caruso hounding Chris Paul and making his life difficult. They have guys like Kuzma and Wes with size on Booker. And then in pick and roll situations, they trap him um, and just force Booker to, you know, isolate. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us isolating, generating points for yourself, but not for your teammates. And we're going to shut down your pick and roll because something that we've talked a lot about in our, in our pre-series pod was a lot of the Suns role players are, finishers they're not creating their own shots at the rim they're not catching and, and attacking closeouts in a dynamic fashion some of them can Mikel Bridges can but a lot of those guys are more like catch and shoot or if the shot's not there pass it back and we'll we'll run another action so if you right. can shut down that pipeline that offensive engine with the ball screens 
at, at least we feel that puts the Lakers in a, a pretty decent situation given the personnel they have to defend 1v1. And if it looks, I mean, Wes Matthews might look like he's getting burned every now and then, but if, if he can do like an okay job and Booker can end up with 30 points and two assists and, and the pick and rolls are, are negated, the Lakers probably win those games. I do think those Suns wings really exist on a spectrum. That's kind of interesting. Like you were talking about Mikhail Bridges. He can attack closeouts. We didn't see the dynamic offense tonight. I think there will be games later in the series. Maybe he's, uh, he, he's terrified of contact at the rim, but he will attack a closeout and like shoot a 15 footer. Um, but other guys like Cam Johnson is a guy who I think his role dictated that they didn't want him to do a ton of that this year, but he can do it. He will do a little bit of it. And there's a difference between like a lot of the stuff that he was doing flashing to the middle as well. There's a difference in what even Cam Johnson does versus say Jay Crowder, who's just there. He's just going to shoot spot ups versus Torrey Craig. And and the reason I'm bringing it up is like Torrey Craig played three minutes. Mike and I talked about that. I think there's a reason for that. He has no spacing value to the Suns offense. And not to mention, he's, he's completely not a self-creator. He's just not going to attack a closeout ever. So I think, you know, some of those guys on the margins, like a Cam Johnson, can he attack a closeout even like 20 or 30% of the time versus just taking the spot up three may make some difference for the Suns offense on the margins. But it's going to be a test for all these young guys and, and just what they're able to do. Yeah, and, and I'll turn it back to you guys. So assuming we go into game two and the adjustments are more on the Lakers end than the Suns end, given what we saw in game one and the Lakers start trapping ball screens. What do you think the Suns would do <laughs> to try to counter something like that? If, if they are seeing, if Chris Paul and Devin Booker have to get the ball out quickly. And in a lot of those instances, it's to like Deandre Ayton catching the ball above the free throw line. And he has to go operate a four V three. Do you, how do you feel in those situations? This is something we've talked about feeling. That's yeah, a horror if movie that's the situation, right there. You just described great. a horror yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what redacted is said, redacted and redacted. Yeah. It's it's actually gone. I think trapping has actually gone better for the Suns this season than I thought it would. Uh, I, in my opinion, I think the Suns are a little more afraid of of switching, and and I generally they struggle a little bit with uh, bigger guys switching on to Devin Booker. And that scares me a little bit more. Obviously Chris Paul's a different story in that scenario. And that's the dynamism of that duo, right? Devin Booker maybe can't do that. Chris Paul can. So you have to find ways to do different things against different guys against the Suns. which if you force decisions on defense and stacking decision upon decision, that's where you start to get breakdowns of defense. And that's how the Suns are able to score so consistently. Uh, so I'll be honest. It doesn't, it, it's, if it's DeAndre Ayton making those decisions on offense, that scares me a little bit because look, he's in his third year and uh, his goal, uh, his role, I should say, is pretty small on offense. It's not quite what you would have anticipated. One, what he was projected to be in the NBA, which is this sort of offensive center who struggles on defense. He's not. He's basically the opposite of that. He's a defensive center who struggles on offense. So if you're making him try to make decisions in space, it's a little bit scary. If you can find ways to get sort of flash cuts from Mikhail Bridges and get Mikhail Bridges in this, in the middle of the floor to catch that ball and then make decisions in that area, I'm a little more confident. And I think if they start trapping consistently, I think you, they might even go to Mikhail Bridges being the primary screener in a lot of those plays so that he can catch the ball in more of a Draymond esque position to play make for himself and for other people. So I think there's some interesting adjustments that they could make there. They toyed with that a lot towards the end of the season with Mikhail Bridges setting a lot more screens. So, you know, I'll be honest, that's, that is a better situation for you guys. And I think the Suns have, have smart ways to combat that. And uh, a lot of it will come down to at that point. And I know this is not great analysis here, 
whether or not they hit threes <laughs> in that scenario. It's, like if it's, it's always true. So yeah. like, don't feel bad about saying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you have to make a lot of threes. If there's two, if there's two guys on one guy, there's probably going to be guys open on the weak side, uh, you know, at the three point line. So if they're able to, to find those guys properly and even set that secondary screen to, to make sure that they're open, they're going to have to hit those shots in order to, to even compete in that scenario. Keep in right. mind the other thing, and, and and I know for a fact, Tim, that you heard us talk about this, is that three-guard lineup, we didn't see it tonight. Um, I do think that's that's still a possibility, but it requires that Chris Paul is like at least 80% of his usual self um, in order to get that. But if you are seeing a lot of trapping on book on the perimeter, have, bringing campaign in, I also think campaign did not look good tonight, but I think that might just be some jitters, and, and I assume he'll get his feet under him. Um, having another guy out there on the perimeter who can create some sort of dynamic offense, if you can get a quick pass out to him, is is something they may go to eventually. So I still have my eye out for it. Okay. Yeah, we'll keep an eye. I heard that on your pod. Immediately looks up the numbers, and I was like, hey, they don't use this lineup that often, and it hasn't They've, really been like a world destroyer or anything like that. Right. But I they can only, see what you're going for in this matchup. Yeah. They only used it a couple of times but the couple of times that they used it, it was very much a down the stretch in the season, like a March, April, uh, uh, I guess it's May, like an April, May type thing. And it was like, hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're doing this for a reason. It didn't just feel like it came out of nowhere. So. Until, yeah, just some until, experimenting for the playoffs. Yeah, until really the last month and a half of the season, uh, Chris Paul and Cameron Payne hadn't played together basically at all. I mean, they really, wow. really were were focusing on with Devin Booker. Look, de- people people commonly talk about Devin Booker has point guard skills, and he does. But the Suns do not want him to play without a point guard on the floor. They really only play him with another point guard. So whether that be Chris Paul or Cameron Payne, uh, you can get away with that. But with with Chris Paul being the point guard that he is, you can get away with having maybe one less ball handler on the floor and put Javon Carter in on those minutes. And they can have him just sort of spotting up behind the three-point line or, or Langston Galloway, who's just a flamethrower from the three-point line. Uh, but until really recently, and supposedly it was Chris Paul that told Monty Williams, I want to play with campaign. That's what started it. And they started more experimenting with that. So there's not a ton of minutes just with those two guys sharing the floor at all, much less that three-guard lineup. But I still think it's something that they become a lot more dynamic if there's a lot of trapping, just like you said, if they haven't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another ball handler in that that role. Mm -hmm. And if the Lakers do go to those traps and then the Suns are able to win those 4v3 battles and force the Lakers to adjust again, or, or maybe they also deploy, but I think the, we might see more switching from the Lakers moving forward. When 80s at the five, they yeah. just start switching things. In those instances, 
how do you think the Suns approach that? Are there specific matchups, you know, Chris Paul or Booker versus somebody? If we have 80 at the five, we'll say LeBron at the four, we'll say uh, either Kyle Kuzma or Wes Matthews out there guarding uh, Devin Booker. And then you have Schroeder, two, two of either Schroeder, KCP and Caruso out there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Hmm. I saw what I saw today is Devin Booker calling for the guy to screen that he wanted that guy on him. Right. <laughs> and I imagine there'll be a lot of that. Maybe not a lot of traditional Deandre Ayton setting the, setting the screens in those specific scenarios. If you don't want AD, I, I want to ask you guys this though, just watching this game. It, it didn't, I don't know how to put this. It didn't seem like the Suns were very afraid of Anthony Davis's defense uh, in a way that I would have anticipated that they were going to be. So you would have had to play defense for them to be afraid of it. Right. But it, it what I found interesting is it, it appeared to be part of the game plan to attack AD in ways that I didn't ex- expect them to be uh, attacking them. So when you, when you're projecting forward, I mean, maybe he'll be better at the five and maybe that's how you guys are viewing this here, but I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't scare me as much. Uh, Anthony Davis in his current form doesn't scare me as much as I thought it would. And it, and it probably will later in the series, admittedly. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. What do you I mean, you, you just have to consider the guy you saw two weeks ago still to me, at least because he had some games as well that, and it wasn't just the Suns game that he looked like prime Anthony Davis winning plays on both ends of the court, trying to get the Lakers out of that seven spot. So it's not just like the last week he's looked awful to me. He's, he's been like this all season. He's had great games where he looks like dominant Anthony Davis. And then he has games like this where he floats around and we all drag him on Twitter. And, you know, like I'm sure he gets it in the media room as well. Right. And he makes weird quotes, but then you generally see him come out and dominate a team the other the next day. So I'm not predicting that, but I just think this is about this, the floor for Anthony Davis. Right. Too. Oh, it has to be. It, it yeah. has to be. Yeah. And this is not, yeah. I, I said on our half of the, like just us two, we're not expecting Anthony Davis to continue to play like this. Tim, can you give me your, um, your switch? What's your switch lineup again? Uh, list out those five guys. Uh, so 80 at the five, we'll go LeBron yeah. as our power forward. And then you have, we'll say Wes Matthews, uh, Caruso, Caruso and KCP. KCP. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, uh, no, I just, it came too fast before, so I couldn't really process it. Look, there's no easy way to get like easy offense there. Right. I think there are a couple of smaller guys. I think something that's underrated about Devin Booker actually is like, he's just, he's not a modern two guard in so many ways. He's a good post player. So if you can mm-hmm. get some, some opportunities against either KCP or Caruso for him in the post, I think in, in a half court offense, that's already kind of like the points per possession are going to be lower. You could get some, some offense out of Booker there uh, through that. But at the end of the day, I know it's not great analysis. Again, 
when they switch everything, you just got to hit difficult shots. Chris Paul and and Devin Booker have to live up to what we want them to be as ISO scores. Like the Suns have utilized guys like Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges as like ghost screeners in, in the past. Like they have enough spacing value that they feel confident that they can kind of run out to the wing and do that. But you got to hit your, your top talent has to look like top talent. It, Devin Booker certainly yep. looked like top talent tonight, but he has to sustain it. It's also an offensive rebounding thing in that case, right? Because when the Suns get a switch, if Anthony Davis is on the perimeter, they're not giving it to DeAndre Ayton against the small, the smaller guy in that scenario. They're, the goal is to attack the big with guards because we're a dynamic guard team, right? Or wings. Uh, in that case, DeAndre Ayton understands that his role is entirely the offensive rebounds. So if you have a smaller guy on DeAndre Ayton, you're going to attack it, probably shoot a mid-range shot. Like that's what the Suns tend to do. And that usually means that the big is far enough out of the paint that DeAndre in, in, in uh, what we hope for, right. Is an offensive rebounding scenario uh, for DeAndre in that case. And, and look, they they were very close AD. Uh, I should say Andre Drummond can't really call him AD when, when talking about the Lakers and DeAndre <laughs> in, in offensive rebounds in this game, you take Drummond out of the game. Th- look, that, that go, that advantage goes to DeAndre Ayton. It really has to in order for the Suns to take advantage of those switches. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm surprised to hear that. And I think going after some of our bigs with your guards, you know, it could make some sense. And then you have that advantage on the offensive rebound, offensive rebounding side of things. I am terrified of like Alex Crusoe or KCP needing to defend DeAndre Ayton. I think if you're going after like LeBron or Wes or AD on the perimeter as a Laker fan, I feel, I feel pretty good about that. Like that's well, not like, going to generate four V threes. That's not going to generate corner threes or layups. Maybe you, you know, it's going to be a lot of mid range. I would, I would think. Whereas if you get the ball to Aiton and he can just like bury one of our guards, that's probably going to generate some pretty good offense consistently. In that Don't case, get me wrong. There, there will be possessions like that, but it's just a question of how much help are you going to send? Because right. Aiton's mm-hmm. going to get that ball. And I can tell you, he's, He's even in the regular season, often flustered. He's instantly looking for his offense. Like he's trying to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. He just doesn't play with the, with the certain level of comfortability in that situation. Yeah. That's it's entirely (laughs) about what he does before he has the ball in that case. If he can get deep enough, the Suns will trust him in that scenario. But if the, if the Lakers are able to push him off of his spots, they're not going to do it. In, in fact, they might even run another screen and try and switch it back <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> they're more likely to rescreen than they are to feed him in the post. If the Lakers can push him out, uh, you know, he's got to be deep. He's a finisher, as you said, even more than any, any other player on the team. I, I'd say he is. And you know, if Anthony Davis is locked in the second that pass goes in, he's flying in there trying to block shots. So yeah. it, it may cause some, some trouble for him. And so speaking of the post side of things on the Lakers end, something we've talked about for a lot of the year and showed up again in this game is the Lakers throwing the ball into the post. Everybody just kind of standing still and then watching LeBron or AD, you know, jab, step, jab, step, you know, mm-hmm. do do all these moves that don't actually go anywhere as the defense gets set and then slowly brings some sort of double team or a dig from the perimeter or sending someone from the baseline to uh, be there. If you turn baseline, all of that showed up in this game. There yeah. were, I think six times the sun sent help only one time the Lakers in any sort of organized fashion tried to counter it. And then in the regular season matchups, 75% of Lakers post-ups were met with extra help from the Suns, and the Lakers barely countered it at all. That to me is a huge issue. And it's something Frank Vogel talked about post game is them needing to get better at that. 
if the Lakers are able to generate some true one V ones for Anthony Davis by countering and cutting and screening, how does, how can that change this series? And do you think the Suns, if the Lakers are going small, do the Suns consider going small to match that? Or is their best bet to have Aiton out there at all times or as much as possible to succeed in the series? I mean, I, I, my first thought is I'd rather have Aiton on AD that's, than anyone else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I that's mean, my first thought too. I could, I could potentially change my mind. It's just like charge only played 11 minutes tonight for a reason. You know, those guys, you might, you might laugh, but if we're talking about the Suns' offense really quick, like, we don't want Aiton in short role playmaking positions, but like Sharich and even Frank Kaminsky, they're pretty good at that. Like that's that's why they earned the playing time that they did this year. They give up so much on defense that it just hasn't. If you can have Aiton out there for 38 to 40 minutes, even in the situations you're talking about where you do continue to send help at, at, at AD and they successfully counter, I, I still, I, I think it's unlikely that we see a situation where, where Aiton is really played off the floor unless he's put in foul trouble. I think that's the only that's the only way you see Monty. Like, I don't think there's an adjustment coming from Monty there. Maybe I'll feel differently if there's a close game to yeah. loss specifically because of this. But my instinct would to say there's no adjustment on our part coming uh, for the time being and, and just let Aiton play through it. And he kind of just has to grow because this roster is not constructed in a way to really counter something like that. Like, like yeah. adding Dario Saric in there instead and going small. I don't really see how that would fix the issue. I guess it depends. It depends what the counters are specifically. I mean, right? but. If we something Sam and I talked about, and I'm sure you heard, uh, Tim, is what it took for the Lakers to win a title last year. I mean, obviously, insane defense, but was some sort of otherworldly shooting by Anthony Davis from the mid range and from the three point line. His like his shot percentages went up dramatically in the postseason compared to the regular season. Now there are theories of that of why that happened, but. I think in a lot of cases, if if it's DeAndre Ayton on Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis can't really bully him. I mean people tend to underestimate DeAndre Ayton's strength because of the way he plays. That's, that's my theory about it. <laughs> the way he plays, sometimes he doesn't always take advantage of his strength, at least on offense, but in defense, I think he does. And I just don't think AD can bully him. So if you can force AD to continue to really settle for jump shots, I think that's what the Suns will continue to try to do. Obviously, if Anthony Davis starts hitting the shots the way he did in the previous postseason, you're going to have to make some sort of adjustments. And maybe you put even Torrey Craig at center and you try to get up on him and force him to drive and see if you can get the help defense there in time. Uh, but I think to start out, they're, they're probably going to rely on DeAndre Ayton's strength in that scenario and, and see what they can do. Gotcha. Yeah, I would imagine AD... I would think in that scenario, like he's not going to bully Aiden. I think the they're just going to pick and roll would be speed. They're going to yeah. put him in the pick and roll with LeBron all day, and then flatten that ball ball screen, and then just make make them tag and get over to AD, like like get him downhill. Right, that's what we've seen is like the the big adjustment from the Lakers within the screen games when that jumper is not working, get downhill. But they, we just haven't seen him do it as frequently this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've certainly, we've seen a lot of flashes from the Lakers of like, Oh man, this looks unstoppable. And right. then that player, that action will go away for a week mm -hmm. and then we'll see it three more times in a game and then it'll go away. So what cards <laughs> the Lakers choose to play in game two? <laughs> like we, we don't, I, I personally don't feel like I have a great idea of what that might be offensively. Whereas defensively Vogel and his, his staff have usually been like, predictable in a good way where like they find what's wrong and they make the adjustments. And I feel like right, they'll, right. I feel pretty confident going into the next game that they'll make those adjustments 
on the sun side of things. And if we think about, you know, how are we even here? We're here because the Lakers were crazy injured for a huge portion of the series season. If we said these two teams were playing in the first round, most people would probably have guessed the the seeds might've been flipped from preseason. Now Mm -hmm. the Suns have played very well and like they've deserved where they are, but from an injury standpoint, moving forward and something I'm sure all four of us will be asked about a bunch for the next couple of days. And it would be smart of the Suns to really not share any more than they possibly need to and they for, won't. for game two is Chris Paul's status. <laughs> and if he does go out, what is, how, how can the Suns pivot? We've seen the Lakers, you Jesus. know, when LeBron's out, they play a different style. When AD's out, they play a different style. They've had to work on those styles due to the unfortunate injuries. Have the Suns had that portion of the season this year where Chris Paul's out, we need to pivot given nope. the personnel we have, we play this different style or run these yeah. different plays. What can that look like? Do you well, even realize what you're asking though? Like, first off, like how can we replace the greatest mid-range score ever with campaign? You know, like what, <laughs> what am I supposed, what am I supposed Tim's, to say? Tim's out here. Like y'all remember last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, I, first of all, I think he's going to play. I said this in, in our first half of the episode. I think he's going to play if he doesn't look exactly like himself. Like Rondo. That's my theory. Hurt Chris Paul is Rondo, essentially. <laughs> Hurt Chris Paul. Chris Paul with one, one arm is, is yeah. Rondo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, what, what do you think? There's, what's, the, what's the adjustment there? Uh, that's a disaster. I, I don't really know how to really preface that in any other way. Like, okay, it depends on the level of which that he's injured, right? If, if he's still if he's still capable of getting that mid range shot off, obviously things change dramatically. If the handle is not tight, I mean, that's a disaster. Then you have to uh, look, the Suns ran a bunch of plays over and over and over again to get the ball out of Chris Paul's hands and into Devin Booker's hands in the middle of that third quarter, when it was clear that Chris Paul was not quite right. And that worked, I think specifically because of the spacing. I talked about it in the earlier part of the podcast, but they had guys really deep in the corners and Chris Paul was a foot and a half behind the line. And it was just Sarich and, Booker in the middle of the floor and Booker was doing the thing that he does, which is just fake cuts all around and then take that dribble handoff from Dario Saric in a position that's sort of advantageous for him. And look, they'll do that over and over and over again. But to me that there's an easy, there's options to adjust from that, that make it a little easier. Oh, here, I'm going to say it more honestly, a lot easier to game plan against the Suns If Chris Paul is not a scoring threat. So, you know, it, Obviously, in our, in our from our perspective, we hope that he's a little healthier than he was, and and it was just some sort of a stinger that can sort of hurt you for one day, but tends to come back after a while. At first, I was worried it was a dislocated shoulder, like it clearly was not that. So we'll see what it is going for. But something that we told Tim, and this is for you, Tom, before we started recording, is the Suns don't don't even tell the truth about injuries in the regular season. So no matter <laughs> what you hear, <laughs> no matter what you hear in the postseason. It's not going to be true. They just, they say whatever it it's not. Don't read into it. Understood. No, I mean, I think that's, that's a big thing, right? Where you can guard Chris Paul in different ways than you could before. Right. Maybe they do say, yeah, we're going to run drop coverage to take away that lob and focus more on Aiden and just make Chris Paul hit these middies, just make you beat us in scoring. And I mentioned to Tim, I know regular- by a million campaign floaters, potentially that's <laughs> what we're looking at. Well, that's good for us, but mm-hmm. yeah, I was just telling Tim, I thought it was interesting that even in the regular season matchups, Chris Paul didn't score a lot in yeah. these games. 
games. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of the Vogel defense, just making him make the right play yeah. and let other guys beat you in those closeout attacking ways that you just mentioned. Campaign floaters uh, for president 2024. <laughs> like, can I say this though? When the Suns played uh, the Lakers at the end of the season, they were not running their normal offense. I just want to say they were sandbagging in that game in, in some interesting ways. And I think if you go to AD at center, they start to involve AD more in that. And I think one of the advantages that the Lakers had in that specific game is AD sort of off the ball so often in that game defensively allowed him to be that sort of free safety that really kind of fucked it all up for the, for the Suns in the mid-range and took away that mid-range shot for Chris Paul in ways that I don't think that um, has happened in other games for Chris Paul because he just gets to it so so easily, better than I ever thought before he was on the Suns. Uh, so I do wonder if there's things in there that the Suns can do that would still allow him to get that shot off. But look, if he's not healthy, it's not going to matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I, something I imagine the Lakers might look to do is they'll run. Uh, it's kind of like ice coverage where the guard defender in a ball screen jumps out in front of the screen so that the, 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 the ball handler can't use it. He has to reject the screen. Basically they might try to do that in the middle of the court whenever Chris Paul's trying to drive with the hand that works. I forget which hand it is, but there were portions of the game where he looked like the the Monstars had like taken his talent and he just (laughs) couldn't dribble anymore. So if they're going to, the Lakers call it weaking a screen, if they force him to use, you know, go the way where you can't dribble, (laughs) that might negate those actions completely as well. So I'd keep an eye out for that. That's something Vogel time time and time again has turned to in the playoffs. Yeah, if, I mean, if you take away Chris Paul's ability to use angles on screens, you're taking away his biggest superpower. I mean, that, that's like what he's really great at is finding the right angles. I have one very serious question for you guys before we before we go here. Uh, do you think the Lakers play with the same rules as everyone else? Wow. <laughs> you is, saved this a, the, is this a COVID question? It's a lot of questions. And it's serious. I actually wonder what you guys actually think. So... I have a serious, I'll, I'll let Tom speak in a second, but I have a serious answer on the, the COVID piece of it. No, no, beyond that, just everything. <laughs> like literally well, everything. I'm first going that, to address. Including I'm that. First, address, okay. address COVID first. Address I'll COVID address first. the COVID piece first because LeBron, so LeBron violated the protocols. Looking at the verbiage in like the rules, the, the policy, it says, you know, violating these protocols can result in, I, I forget exactly what it says, you know, uh, penalties from a fine up to fine with suspension. We've seen a couple players, including uh, KPJ for what is who's he on Houston um, and mm-hmm. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Yep, several of those Kyrie guys. Irving didn't either. Ky- Kyrie, the Kyrie's the other one I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know about the two uh, 76ers guys, but the other two went to like indoor events with people who were not vaccinated, and it raised the level of exposure and potential for those players to spread the virus to other staff and and players. And I see that as a more intense violation than a player going to an outdoor event. Just the indoor outdoor is a piece of it. KPJ was suspended for a game though, right? He was, he was forced. He went to a a strip club uh, and, and then looking at like, okay, strip. So indoor outdoor and then strip club where people aren't vaccinated or had to provide proof of testing to get in versus an outdoor event where everybody there had to provide a negative test or vaccine proof. So in those ways, forget the team he's on. Yeah. It's, it's a lesser version of a penalty within that same policy. I don't know if we have uh, in another example, it was their precedent set 
where another player did a similar thing where it was outdoors with people who were vaccinated. Uh, but I guess they themselves were not vaccinated where they did get suspended <laughs> because in that situation, I said, yeah, like the, the Lakers aren't playing with the same rules, but if it's, it's too late, what LeBron, I, got the sound clip. I think every precedent <laughs> is a more extreme version of a violation. That's what I'm going to fall back on. You sound like a crazy person right now. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I appreciate theories, uh, conspiracy theories yeah. are, are better meant for uh, franchises that uh, maybe draft the best player available. Yeah. So Every of not following the rules. This Listen, is, this, we're, we're talking to the people on the one spot in the country that like, don't believe in like uh daylight savings time. Every, your own time zone. Every I respect that actually. I respect yeah. that. You mean it's better? Uh, Every fan base will defend their team the way that you just did for the record. So there's nothing, there's nothing weird yeah. about what you just did, Amen. except that every other team thinks that you don't play with the same rules as them. So look no, guys, fine. for what it's worth, <laughs> I will take the high road. I really don't care what, what you think about it, Tim um, until uh, if we lose game two or game three, then I will roll out the conspiracy theories. Myself. So, but as long as we're winning, who cares? We're good. Before we get out of here, I think we should all share our Twitter handles just so all the Lakers fans know which accounts to go to so they can bookmark a bunch of these tweets we're about to be seeing in the next oh. <laughs> <laughs> good idea I'll, I'll start first my name is mike my last name is pronounced v hill it's spelled vigil so if you see me on twitter it's mike vigil i got a bag on my head my uh twitter handle is at protected pick i do not recommend that lakers fans follow me for the record so <laughs> if you do that's fine i don't recommend it so you're gonna have to be judicious with the mute button my guy <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I'm name, not afraid to block. <laughs> okay. My name is Sam uh, S. Cooper Hoops. Please don't find me on Twitter. I think I was saying something today about how Anthony Davis only has a Disney World ring, so that should give you an idea of the type of content you'll get. He can uh, only shoot when there's no basis. crowd. Yeah, I'm so glad <laughs> yeah, exactly. we exposed you to so. our audience. You you can find me on but, Twitter. But, so my but, name is. T- yeah, good. Go ahead. I was going to say, my name is Tim. Uh, on Twitter, I go by Cranjus McBasketball, which is, n- none of that is my real name. It's it's a name from a bit in the show Impractical Jokers, which is fantastic, and you should go check out. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. Uh, yeah, my, I'm Tom. You can find me uh, at Creative Destroyer. I tweet about the Lakers and, you know, tr- probably try and roast most of the half the league. Because we do, I mean, you should tell them we host the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. Like, yeah. What what do you expect from us, boys? Exactly. Hey guys, I hope you uh, I hope you lose. you. Likewise. <laughs> Dirty ass Chris Paul, mother. This was this <laughs> was good though. You know, we, both of us need our own space a little bit, I think. But depending on how long the series goes, we could all come back and and kind of check in on each other. Maybe a week from now, we'll. See. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.